from Red Bank Missionary Baptist Church and Touchpoint Ministries. This is the Gary Talks About God podcast. You have your Bibles this morning, John chapter 14. John chapter 14. And by this point in our study of John, you should realize that I am completely and totally off track of where I thought we would be. <laughs> According to my handy-dandy sermon calendar that I developed last year when we were going through the Gospel of John, we'd be finished by now. <laughs> we're not. We may finish this year. We may not. We're on a journey, right? We, we're on a journey through John. I hope you've been enjoying it. I have. And this morning, coming to John chapter 14, for I think the third week in a row, we're just going to focus on one verse. One verse. We'll focus on John 14, 6. This morning, we agree and we affirm that every word of Scripture is inspired. We agree and affirm that every word of Scripture is important. At the same time, I think we can recognize that sometimes specific passages of Scripture for the time that we are in speak more loudly than other passages of Scripture. And this morning, I think John 14, 6 is one of those. It speaks very loudly and very clearly to a very confused world. And this morning, as we look at John 14, verse 6, we're going to do this in a little bit of a different way. And I just want to remind you, last week I used the analogy of Google Maps, right? You all remember that analogy? That they'll give you two ways that make sense, and the third way is like, why would I even go that way? It's kind of circuitous, and you end up going in the wrong, it looks like the wrong direction, and you eventually get to where you're going. This morning, we're going to take the third route to get to where we're going about John 14, 6. So I just want you to be aware of that as, as we work through this. So John 14, let's again read verse 1 and read down to verse, let's read down to verse 7, but we're going to focus on verse 6. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known the Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. So this morning, John 14, 6, and what I, the, the one point, there's one point this morning is this, is Jesus promises the path to heaven. Jesus promises the path to heaven. We keep coming to these interactions with Jesus and the disciples where they are confused. And specifically here, they're confused about where Jesus is going. He says, I'm going, and, and you know where I'm going. Now, this is tantamount to 40 or 45 minutes from now when we get done. I look at you and say, meet me at the restaurant. And you go, which one? I say, you know the way, you know the restaurant, and I just, I, I just leave and go. And you're standing there going, I don't know where I'm supposed to go. 
How am I supposed to get to the restaurant, Gary? You didn't tell me the restaurant. You didn't tell me the way. I don't know where I'm going. This is where the disciples are. They're saying, Jesus, you're going away. You're telling us we can't go. But now all of a sudden, you're, you're telling us that, that, that we know the way. So I imagine Thomas and the disciples are trying to figure out now how Jesus is going to exit Jerusalem. Right? Is he going to go out to Northgate and head down and, and go back up to Cana? Is he going to go out to Southgate and maybe head down somewhere else? Where, where is Jesus going? Well, we saw that last week. Jesus is telling them that he is going to the Father's house. He is going to heaven. And so while they are continuing to look for an answer to a physical location, Jesus answers the spiritual one. I'm going to the Father's house. You can go to the Father's house and you know. And look what he says in verse 4. He says, you know the way. Not that you will know the way. Not that the way is going to become apparent to you. But right now, right now in this moment, Thomas, you know the way. And Thomas, again, is just so frustrated. Jesus, I don't know the way. You haven't told me. How can I know the way? So Jesus answers them, and he looks at Thomas, and he looks at all the disciples and says, Thomas, look, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. I'm going to the Father, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And Thomas, you know this because this is what I've been teaching you. You already know it. And right there in verse 6, Jesus promises the path to heaven. And as he does that, what we need to recognize and understand is one of the fundamental questions that the world has asked since creation in the garden, since the fall, has been, how do we get to God? How how do we get to the Father? And the fact that we have to even ask the question of how should immediately tell you that there's a problem. That something has happened where we can't get to the Father. And the answer is our sin. It is our sin that it keeps us from being able to make that journey. But isn't it interesting that inside of every individual there's that question? How do we get to the Father? How how do we get to heaven? How how do we get there? People want to know. There is something inside of us that calls out that says, I want the answer to that question. So what do we do? We try to be better, don't we? We try to work harder. We we try to be involved in charity. We tr- we try to do anything. We we say, all right, we'll we'll be religiously uh, fervent. We'll we'll pray so many times. We'll read the Bible. We'll say uh, a sacred text. We'll recite a creed. We'll 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 die in allegiance to God. I will do something because I know, right? Because they're answering the question. I know something has to happen. Do you see how it works together? I want to get to God. I don't know how to get to God, but I know that something has to happen. But where we go wrong and where the world goes wrong is we look to ourselves to derive the answer. We look to ourselves to create the path. I've got to. I've got to. I've got to. 
As long as I can be better than Roger, I've got a good shot. As long as I can pray more than Debbie, I, I, I'm at least in a better place than Debbie is. As long as I can be better than somebody, as long as I can follow certain rules and say I followed every single rule, then, then I'm going to be able to answer the question of how to get to the Father. But I've made it, I've put it all on me. I said that I have the power to get to the Father. Well, remember Wednesday night study, which was on Thursday? And we talked about Lamentations 3.22. And we talked about how Jeremiah is right, and he says, your new mercies, every morning your mercies are new. And do you remember how we talked about, it's at the night when we have those moments of Lamentations. Those moments when we look back on the day and we reflect on our sin and, and who we are and what we have done, where we can feel the darkness. That it is, it is the morning where we see God's mercies. I bring that up because I firmly believe that every person that has ever walked the face of the earth, who is asking the question, how do we get to the Father? Okay, I will do it. Goes to bed at night wondering... In those moments of lamentations, have I done enough? When I yelled at the clerk today at the store, did that disqualify me? When I cut the person off on 52, did that disqualify me? Did I forget to read the text today that I was supposed to? Did that disqualify me? Everyone has those moments where the lamentation comes and they're trying to figure out, have I done enough to get to the Father. We want to do it. It's all about us and how we can get there. Because we live in a world and a society today that says, I will create the truth. I will answer the truth that I created and that way I am guaranteed that the truth that I created and the truth that I answered through myself will be true for me. Now, what's really fascinating about this, and here's where we will go kind of on a, the, the, the circuitous route, because this is really important. That's not a new thought. We think that it's new, but it's really not. Now, where we are as a society and where historians will go, usually they'll go back to the, about the 1650s to 1800s, the age of reason, the age of enlightenment, where it says we don't need religion anymore. And they will go and they will point to a specific Prussian philosopher by the name of Immanuel Kant. Now, you may not know his name, but you know something that he is credited with discovering. How many of you have heard of transcendentalism? Right? I mean, it, it, it's out there. You hear it. Now, listen, this is not a philosophy class, so I am bare bones, okay? Two basic tenets of that says this. Everyone is essentially good. Truth is discovered through personal experience. Everyone is basically good. Truth is discovered through personal experience. Sound familiar? And you can trace that. You can move through time and continue up to where we are now. One of the great debates in philosophy now is, what, what do we live in? 
right? Because around the turn of the century, nope, nope, around the 1900s, wrong turn of the century. Around the 1900s, they said, all right, we, we live in the modern times. Well, that lasted to about the 1940s when we entered into what was called post-modernity. And now they're going, are we post-post-modernity? Are, are we trans-post-modernity? And I know what you're thinking. What does this have to do with John 14, 6? Well, I think you can see. Because of the tenets of, of transcendentalism and the, trans, the, the tenets of what Kant said, it, it's, it's still here today, but has been radically amplified. And you can see it in the definition, again, bare-bones definition of postmodernism. This, this, is, this is postmodernism up here. It says, postmodernism, look, look at it, denies the existence of any ultimate principles, and it lacks the optimism of there being a scientific, philosophical, or religious truth which will explain everything for everybody. I love this definition because it makes me laugh. Read the first sentence. Does anybody see the irony? Postmodernism denies the existence of any ultimate principles. You just kind of stated an ultimate principle. Right? There's no optimism. There, there, you know, there, there's no, look, look, there's no truth which will explain everything for everybody. You know, it's really hard to define something where within the definition, you tell me you can't define it because there's no truth. That doesn't make sense. And some people who at least in, in thinking this have a little bit of clarity go, well, you can't really define it because truth is always evolving and changing. But do you see the skepticism in there? It says we can't know anything. Nothing can be known. Well, if nothing can be known in those nights when you're laying in the bed with your lamentations going, have I done enough? Did I do enough? You can't know. You have no hope that you know the way to the Father. You have no hope in anything. Even if you're not religious, you have no hope in science. You have no hope in philosophy. You have no hope. Because the only thing that can be known is you can't know anything. Right? And some people, some philosophers, this is great, they have gone out on a limb and said that reality itself, right, reality itself is just a mental construct. Do me a favor, and I can't believe your pastor is going to tell you this, but if anybody ever says that to him, punch him in the nose. <laughs> and look at him and say, was that a mental construct? Or did you really just get punched in the nose? Because they're going to go, oh, I think you just punched me in the nose. And then what are they going to say? That wasn't right. Ooh, okay, why? We can't know anything. There's no truth claims. So now you are telling me that that wasn't right? Why? Postmodernism fails by its very definition. But yet that is, that is where we live today. You can see it. My truth, my truth, my truth, my truth. There's no scientific truth, so people can be anything that they want to and say the truth are women are XX and men are XY. That scientific truth can't 
be known. Right? We live in a crazy world that is redefining truth. Adidas just came out with a new ad modeling bathing suits for women with a guy in the bathing suit. Because that is, there's no scientific truth. Why not? You want to know how we got here? You can trace it from the 1650s. You can see the rapid escalation in the, in the 50s and the 60s where all of a sudden there was a battle waged against the family and the first person to fall in the family was the dad. And now they're coming after women. And in my naivety, right, I thought, you know, surely they will never come after women and attack women for being women. And now the, 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 the tr- their truth that they're trying to get you to embrace is that right now, and if, if I was a woman, I would be offended. I'm offended for my wife. I'm offended for my daughter. I'm offended for the women that I know in my life because society is saying right now the best woman is a man. Now, I don't know about you, But that just ain't true. Because unlike the definition, there are scientific truths that are true. In 500 years, a man who thought he is a woman and went through surgery and took out hormones, if his body is exhumed 500 years from now, every cell in his body will scream that he was a male. Every single one. But this is the society that we live in. There is no truth. And we'll go, well, this is new to us. Well, we'll go back to the 50s and we'll go back to the 1650s and we go, you know, that's where it all started. And you know what? That's not where it started. Where did it start? Anybody want to guess where it started? It started in Genesis 3. It started in Genesis 3 because we know that nothing new is under the sun. The serpent, the devil, who is Satan of old, comes in and asks God, asks uh, Eve that morning and says, Hey, did God actually say? And in Eve's answer, you know what she does? She adds her truth. Doesn't she? God said we can't eat, nor can we touch it. Wait a minute, God didn't say anything about touch. And then Satan immediately turns around, and what does Satan do? Satan says, all right, let me tell you my truth. My truth says that you can go ahead and that you can eat that, and your eyes will be open, and surely you won't die. And in Genesis chapter 3, the battle that we face today begins. Because you have God's truth, who God said, and then you have Eve And Adam and the serpent add into it and go, no, 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 let me tell you what the truth really is. And bam, sin enters the world and we're back to John 14, 6. How can we get to the Father? Because now we're separated from God. We can't get back. That fellowship, that Adam and Eve where God comes into the garden and and God is with them and they walk with Him in the cool of the day. Remember that, that, again, that story that makes me laugh. God comes into the garden, they hide behind a tree. They hide behind the tree that God created, that God put there for them. Surely God won't see me behind the tree, so I'll I'll just, you know. He won't hear me. And immediately... They are separated. They are driven out. And we think of them being driven out of the Garden of Eden, but what they're really driven out of is God's presence. 
You remember the story? God puts an angel with a flaming sword that says, look, we are now separated and you are not coming back. Right? Because again, if we want to know the way, we, we recognize that there is a separation, that we are separated from God, that we can't get to God. So what does God do? The story of the Old Testament. He provides a way through worship and sacrifices, a way back to Himself. But when you look at that, you notice that it is an incomplete path because they can never, ever be with God the way they were before. And so when he gives the temple and the tabernacle and the temple, and we talked about this many, many times before, he puts that curtain, that massive curtain, so that all the people can see. And it becomes a visual reminder that they are separated from God, that access to God is blocked. Now, I want you to think about something for a minute. It's a curtain. What can you do with curtains? You can move them, and you can walk behind the curtain. Do you think that it's the curtain that kept them out? I mean, let's, let's be honest. If you're building a fortification, if you're trying to keep people out, you're not going to hang a curtain. You're going to build a concrete wall or something. It's not the curtain that kept them out. It's the realization that if they went behind the curtain in their sin, into the presence of a holy God, they are going to be consumed. They can't get to the Father. I mean, again, think of this as, 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 a, as a visual image. The curtain was kind of thick. Here's the curtain. Just, just that thick. And you're right here. And God is right here. And you can't get to God. You could literally reach out your hand and touch God, but you can't do it. You can't get to Him. Something has to be done. So God gives you the sacrifices, but even then He says, you can't come into my presence. you got to stay far off. Something has to be done, or we will never be able to get to the Father. However, we know that the Old Testament and the sacrifices was not God's last word. Because we know that when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that they might receive adoption as sons. So when the fullness of time had come, out of heaven steps Jesus. The Word of God, who was with God, and the Word was God, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us as the Word of God in the flesh. And as the Word of God, what does that mean? It means that Jesus speaks. That He speaks. Remember, again, jumping back to Wednesday nights. Remember one of our studies, we talked about the eternality of God, that God is eternal. What that means and how that has application this morning is that 
Because Jesus is God, because Jesus is eternal, that when Jesus speaks, he eternally speaks. Everything that he has said, everything that he has revealed, is eternally true. And what is he speaking? He is speaking the eternal word of God. Jesus, we don't know the way. Yes, you do, Thomas. Yes, you do. I am the way. This is how you get to the Father. But Thomas, the promise is greater than that. You just have access. This is how you end up dwelling with the Father. Stop focusing on directions and locations and focus on me. I have shown you the way because I am the way. It is through me, through my death, through my burial, my resurrection, Thomas, that I am the way. And it is only by that way that anyone, and and available to everyone who confesses Jesus as Lord and believes in his heart that God raised him from the dead, has access to and the ability to dwell with the Father forever. And Jesus' answer then and, and, and I know this is where we got to stretch our minds just a little bit, was always eternally true backwards. It's what covered Abraham and Moses and Isaac and everybody else in the Old Testament as they look forward to the day that Jesus came and where we look backwards on it to recognize that's the answer. It is eternally the answer. It will never, ever change. Why? Going back to our study of God, because God is immutable. He doesn't change. The answer will not change. So here we are in today's postmodern, pluralistic, there is no truth society with Jesus making an exclusive truth claim. Right? That little article, that little three-letter word, the, that's a really important word. Jesus says, I am the way. Not I am one way, not I am a way, but I am the way. And we all understand the difference between A and the, right? I mean, you know, when we look at somebody and say, bring me, uh, you know, Bring me the cup, if that was my, you know, you know, or where just bring me a cup or bring me the pen versus a pen. You know the difference. We all understand. We understand that the word the means that there is one and only one. And here is Jesus making that claim, saying, I am the, the one and only way. I am the, the one and only truth. I am the, the one and only life. And in the world, not just where we live in, but all of the world, no one has liked that answer. Because it does a couple things, right? The first thing it does is it says, you can't do it. All that, I want to be good enough. All that, I know I can't get to the Father, but I want to get to the Father, so I'll try and I'll work and I'll do. It, it destroys that. It says, you can't do it. You can't get to the Father. The curtain will always be there. You will never have access. The possibility of you making it to the Father down the path on your own 
is stripped from your grasp, you will never make it. It's also not light because it is exclusive. Back to the definition of postmodernism, John 14 at 6 explains the one religious truth that explains everything for everybody. All religions, and we need to understand this, do not end up in the same place. That is the, you know, the, the, the sign behind the coexist bumper stickers. That's what they're trying to get you to understand. Well, well, we'll all get there to the end. No, I can coexist with, with Muslims. I can coexist with Hindus, with uh, Sikhs. I can coexist with secularists. And yes, that is a religion. I can coexist with them. I have no problems coexisting with them, but I'm not going to coexist with them in heaven because we have a very different definition of how to coexist in heaven. You're saying that we'll all eventually get there, and I'm saying, no, based on God's word, there is one. And it is only through Jesus Christ. And in this postmodern, inclusive, we'll accept all truth, they won't accept that one. They don't like that exclusive truth claim that says there is only one way. And the only way is through Jesus Christ. Yet that's the only way. Because he says, I am the way, and I, you can know that I am the way because of what? I am the truth. And we believe this, and, and listen carefully, we believe what Jesus, or we believe that Jesus is the truth, not because what Jesus said about God was correct, which it is, but we believe it because Jesus is God. And because God is fully present in Jesus, showing the world that he is the path. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 19, make this very clear. Listen to it. I'm going to start in verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Listen to verse 19. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself. Do you, do you see it right there? I mean, it, it's, it's clear. In Christ, God was. How is that possible? Because Christ is God. But in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. So when Jesus looks at him and says, I am the way, that is God speaking through Christ, reconciling the world to, to him, saying, I'm the way. Come through me. Who better to tell you the way and the path than the one who is the path? The one who created the path. How many of y'all remember a few years ago the uh, uh, art dealer by the name of Forrest Finn? Did anybody ever, did y'all follow that? There was an art dealer named Forrest Finn, and he, he had all these antiquities. And what he did was he wrote a book, a biography, and at the end of the book, he put a poem that says, if you can follow this poem, basically you will find X marks the spot and you will find the buried treasure. And he buried something like $2 million in the ground. People 
all over America tried to find this, this treasure. There were websites set up so that people could try to track the clues and, and find the clues. And I think about 10 or 11 years later, somebody finally did figure it out and found the treasure. But let me ask you a question. If you read that poem and you're trying to figure out the way, who would be the best person to ask to explain it to you? Forrest, hey, explain this to me. Show me the path. Show me how you started here and you worked down through here and you alluded to it in this refrain and you alluded it to it here so that I can end up in X marks the spot. Who is the best person to know the way to God? It's not a trick question. It's God. Who is Jesus? Jesus is God who through Christ, or in Christ God was. He says, I'm the path. I'm the path. You can believe what I say is true because I am the path. Because in me, God is reconciling you back to me. And I will lead you to the Father. I'm going to lead you right to Him. And when you are in the Father's house, you're going to be able to dwell there for all eternity. You're going to have life eternal. I am the way, the truth, and the life. You're going to have that life. Even though in just a few hours, it's going to look like when I take my last breath on the cross, when, when Jesus is taken off the cross by Nicodemus and Joseph, and he's, his corpse is taken down, and he's placed in the tomb, and the disciples in that moment are going to wonder, is Jesus really the life? Because he's dead. Is, is he really the life? And the answer is going to be revealed to them in three days when he walks out of the tomb. Jesus, because he is life, takes up his own life, proving for us that he is sufficient to save sinners. That within him is saving sufficiency. His work is, is enough. His work is accepted by God so that, that we can have life. Us, us dead sinners can have life. Genesis 3. You eat the apple, you will die. Because the wages of sin are death which leads to our eternal separation. When Jesus speaks and he says, I'm the solution to the wages of your sin because I am life and I am the only life that matters. And I have come to give you life because the, life, the only life worth living is the one in Christ. John writes this in 1 John 5, 11 through 12. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. Look at what he says. This is the testimony that God gives us eternal life. Here it is. You want to know how? And this life is in his son. This is the testimony that God has gave us eternal life. And this is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. There it is. It, it's one of two things. 
You either have life in the sun or you don't have life. There, there is no third choice. There is no third way up the mountain. There's no second way up the mountain. There is no a hundred ways up the mountain. There is one way up the mountain. Jesus says, I am the truth because in me, Christ, God is reconciling you back to me. And if you are in me, then you have life. But if you're not in me, you don't have life. And Jesus makes this claim. This exclusive truth claim. No one comes to the Father except through me. And as believers in Jesus Christ, and I'm going to get a little bit nerdy right here with this next statement, we can't give up one plank length in that argument. Now, for those of you who don't know what a plank length is, and I didn't either until I looked this up, it is the smallest measurement that has any meaningful meaning. Google it and read it. But it's basically a decimal point and about 23 zeros and then a one. And scientists have said that that is the, the, the smallest measurement that has any type of meaning. It has to do with atoms and I think quirks and things that are in atoms that I don't know about. But I wanted to just, well, I just wanted to be a nerd, first of all. But secondly, I just wanted something really small. We can't give that up. We can't give up that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through Him. We must insist on that. Now listen, people are going to look and people say, that is, that's, that's intolerant. Why can't we all get there? It's not intolerant. Because Jesus says, I've removed the curtain. I want you to come to the Father. If I didn't want you to come to the Father, I would have left the curtain. I would have left access blocked. But I came to tear down the curtain. Jesus dies on the cross. What happens? The curtain is ripped. Access to the Father is granted. Is that an intolerant statement? Or is that a tolerant statement born out of the great steadfast love of God that will never cease? Because even in Genesis 3, God says, I'm not going to turn my back on you. My steadfast love from you will never cease. And when the fullness of time comes, He sends Christ who dies on the cross, who rips the veil in the, in the temple so that we can have access to the Father, so that we can know the way. It's a statement of God's great love. That while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Because if God did not love us, and God did not want to redeem us, He would not have sent Jesus. If God did not love us, and God did not want to redeem us, then Jesus would not have humbled Himself to the point of death on the cross. If God did not love us, and if God did not want to redeem us, He would not have commissioned us to continue to proclaim, for God so loved the world, that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. It's not a message of intolerance. It's a beautiful message of love and tolerance, where God says, I have sent Jesus. I stepped out of heaven 
so that you could have access to me, so that you could dwell in my house forever. We live in interesting times. We live with the ability to Google a route and we'll find how to get to our destination. But if we don't follow that route, we take the wrong exit. We end up in the wrong place, confused, lost, and don't know how to make it back to the path. The great truth of John 14, 6 is the path to the Father is direct. And it promises you that you will end up in the right place. You won't get lost. You won't make a wrong turn. All because the route, the path, is a person. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. If you believe in me, then you will dwell with the Father for all eternity. The Gary Talks About God podcast is a production of Touchpoint Ministries and Red Bank Missionary Baptist Church in Germantown, North Carolina. Want to learn more? Visit our website at www.redbankmbc.com. If you enjoyed this content, please like and subscribe. Thank you for joining us.